Welcome and thanks for listening. My name is Christian Buckley and you're listening to the Collab Talk podcast. In this monthly conversation with Sean McDonough and Jeff Ferosky, we discuss updates to Bing Chat Enterprise, Microsoft 365 Backup and Archiver, Viva Pulse, and more community news. Let's get started. Professionals of what? Uh, no, we don't. We don't get into the detail. We gloss okay, over that. All right. All right, all right yeah. Okay. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Collab Talk podcast, where we discuss the convergence of technology, business productivity, and collaboration culture. My co-conspirators today are Sean McDonough, Senior Solution Architect and Consultant with Acumina in Cincinnati, Ohio, and a Microsoft 365 Apps and Services MVP, and Mr. Jeff Ferosky, a Senior Architect for Insight, co-founder of the Boston Office 365 User Group, and the co-founder of the new Janky Workshop on YouTube. Is it well, I mean, how new is it really, though? It's we've heard I mean, about it. It's getting now. it's getting kind of old now. Janky? I got to update. Yeah, is it's it just, just janky. A janky workshop. Okay, pretty much. I think yeah. we can call it the newish janky workshop. Newish. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Slightly degraded. We're at we're at code <laughs> code mauve. Needs a fresh <laughs> polishing. Yeah. Well, today, gentlemen, our focus is on a few things. We're we're in the uh, the height of the summer vacation. And uh, so we're going to talk briefly about uh, Bing Chat. Not a lot to talk about there. Microsoft 365 Backup and Archival, Viva Pulse, and a few other things I think are showing up on the page. But yeah, one of the clear takeaways uh, with this episode is that every, uh, a large number of people in Redmond, um, much like the rest of the world, seem to have gone on summer vacation. And uh, right. What we're seeing in terms of news is, you know, it, there are some interesting tidbits in there, but it lacks the, the oomph that we've been getting the rest of the year so far. I think Microsoft let up on the gas a little bit. Uh, either that or they're just planning for the next big release. What they review. could have done is just, you know, had some AI write some stuff for them, you know? Oh, yeah. gosh. There you they, go. They could have. Well, that's what they, they'd probably I was... be getting sued. <laughs> We, we, I was leading with AI. I mean, putting Bing Chat Enterprise right at the start, um, so that we're <laughs> we need to 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 uh, to prop up everything that we do with uh, discussions around AI because that's what the people want, apparently, <laughs> or what they think they want. Well, you should send out a Viva Pulse survey and uh, see what they actually. <laughs> yeah, there, you, there you go. I see, yeah. see how you're working that in. Are you <laughs> trained for? Are you trained for that, Christian? Adequately trained? Oh, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm like my old Air, Airedale Terrier. Like I had training, but then I just it just goes by the wayside. <laughs> yeah. Great comparison. <laughs> well, I so on this this topic though, uh, yeah, there's a there's a broader discussion. I don't want to get into this, but some of the discussion around the like the pushback or the potential backlash around the AI. I actually have another podcast uh, recording. One of my fellow Viva Explorers will be doing a show here in the coming weeks uh, where we're going to go in and talk about some of the pushback, some of the repercussions. Um, and what I what I mean by this around AI is that uh, there was a discussion uh, around concerns of 
having Copilot integrated into Viva Engage, formerly Yammer, and into your email, into Outlook, and kind of uh, these different things where if AI is writing it, and, and basically what she said is, she's like, I don't mean to offend anybody on this thread, um, all these FVPs that are Viva-focused folks. She's like, but all of us are going to sound like a like a bland, middle-aged white male. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess if we need a, I, I a, a like gender and identity that. for AI. <laughs> but that's it's a real concern of that, you know, it, it, yeah. it it's leveraging the you know, the group think of the data that it is trained on and it comes out with this bland vanilla version that it's going to wreck a lot of the content creation. My argument for in, in, in defense of the AI and and for the the content creation process is that if it if you're generating good content, if you're leveraging AI and generating good content that people are reading, who cares if right. what percentage of that was developed by AI? Like it's, I'm going yeah. and leveraging it for doing more of idea generation, not for actual content creation. Um, so to, to help generate ideas for, oh, it could go in that direction or what else is out there, suggestions around that or incorporating SEO keywords into content I've already written. Like it's fantastic for those purposes. Yeah. On but, one of your collab talk, um, you know, uh, M365 office hours, uh, it was Norm Young who was saying, you know, it's, it's great. It's a great tool allows you to, you know, if you've got writer's block or something, it can maybe get juices flowing, but it the tool itself should not be the entire solution. If you don't provide any real input to it, other than a prompt, it's not yours. You can't really claim it. Um, and, you know, you get the same effect as what you're describing, which is bland, mostly on topic, but sometimes going off on a rail or off on a lark. Uh, you get weird output, and if you don't massage that, you know, and and treat it for what it is, which is, a, you know, a lump of clay that you can then model, um, you know, it's it's no surprise that you get this just bland output. Speaking of bland and uh, um, Jeff, <laughs> yes, behind um, me. Uh, <laughs> oh, Jeff. Was, right, Jeff. I was thinking my that, middle name. Like, you know, if we if we had a uh, well, so Jeff entered our call for all of you out there in, in listener land uh, with an avatar, and uh, you know it'd be funny, it'd be a fun experiment to all join and record uh, a conversation where we're all with our avatars and we're only responding with like uh, <laughs> Chat GPT generated responses to the question. Oh. It sounds like a party game, <laughs> new well, college drinking game. <laughs> but think of that. And here we are veering even further off of the, the, the topic of the being chat enterprise, but uh, Martina Grom has been participating regularly. If you don't know Martina MVP and RD um, and uh, uh, she participating in the tweet monthly tweet jams and she'll often include responses and images generated by AI within that. And and I'll, I'll say that you can mostly tell that it's AI generated. It doesn't mean that they're not good responses. Um, it's just the way that they're structured. It's just overly formal. And if you know Martina, it's not her tone and 
and and style of of response. But um, I love that she's doing that. Yeah, it's interesting. it's interesting. The you know a larger issue I've seen discussed is the whole idea of you know the base of sampling for these large language models and whatnot. Once it starts, there's been a, some surveys and research done on this. Once those models start ingesting AI generated content, <laughs> they quickly degrade. Right. Kind of like, you know, you take a JPEG of a JPEG and you're going to get even more pixelation and granulation. That um, is an excellent segue, Sean, into Bing Chat Enterprise. Of the main difference for this being, besides cost, we'll come back to that. Um, oh but for exactly that reason, if you are, because you have the LLMs that are accessing data for a lot of it, like uh, your know, chat GPT, it's like it was trained in 2021. Like it's outdated data. It, it will tell you if you ask certain questions, certain prompts, it'll be saying like, look, I'm not trained on the latest information and stuff could have changed and here's my limitation, but here's my response. If I, If you have this technology that is accessing your current content, your Microsoft 365 content, your email, your LinkedIn relationships, like the conversations you have, if it's able to plug into current data, you're not going to have that issue. Right. But then you've got you've to make sure that you're picking the right data, which mm -hmm. kind of runs counter Always. to the whole thing. But that's, you know, the, but that's a, that argument is true for search. It's always been true for search. What is the scope? What are you actually reaching? What are you searching into? Has the data, you might go into a massive database that you're searching into, but was that content cataloged? Was it tagged properly? Is it structured properly? Do you have access to all the areas where the relevant, the contextual data actually lives? I mean, there are so many moving parts on getting search to work properly. Oh yeah. I, mm -hmm. I'm I'm doing a whataboutism here. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, what what if you did have like it, you know, searching, say, you know, all of your sales documents and all of your sales documents in the past six months have been generated by AI, then, you know, it does it just learn better um, based upon that? Or is it just going to start like making shit up and throwing in weird clauses? And <laughs> that there's which brings up another point there's been as part of that uh, the viva explorers thread the conversation of of some people that are proponents for somehow encoding any ai generated content i don't know how you do that with um with like the office suite you know to to do it that way but in a way so it it could be identified that it was ai generated mm -hmm. so you might only go and scan that content which is not ai generated Right. Kind of like the equivalent of a no crawl tag for right, yeah, right. Search, yeah. I think it would be good, but I mean, it would it would vary from uh, document type to document. Of course, type. yeah. But if somebody could but, agree on a standard, <laughs> but here's the problem with that art that argument is that you're saying that the the high volume of the content out there is of quality enough that in the first place. <laughs> good point. Very yeah. good point. <laughs> yeah, garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. Well, the points here for folks that are interested in Bing Chat Enterprise, which of course, uh, it's the the probably the biggest newsmaker of the fact that it's 
30 bucks a user a month. It's pretty pricey. Um, but to be able to go and, and again, and connect it to your enterprise data, I mean, it's incredibly powerful. Um, Microsoft is, uh, that's their commercial pricing. I don't know how that'll change. It's eligible for all the E5, uh, E3, E5 business standard and business premium customers. It's broadly available. Um, what does it say? It inherits your existing Microsoft 365 security, privacy, identity, and com compliance policies. Your data is logically isolated and protected within your tenant and always within your control. Then at the tenant level, Copilot respects individual and group permissions policies. So it's all still, as you'd expect, security trimmed. Um, Providing yeah, security implemented. <laughs> yeah, so it's it, I, I'm excited about it. It's something that um, yeah, I, I want to go and play with that. I, I'm willing to pay the 30 bucks a month to play with it, see what that experience looks like. Uh, I want to see the scope of that. Uh, again, if it's able to tap in, can look at my LinkedIn conversations and relationships. I mean, I, like, I, I want to understand the scope of that before paying for it and trying it out. But yeah, yeah. it is a bit pricey to dabble with. But, you know, yeah, if well, somebody gets would... true value out of it, it's probably worth it. Yep. Well, uh, let's see. Yeah, so there's other stuff around, like, uh, see, other Copilot AI-related stuff. I mean, there's more. There, There's some news out there a few weeks back around the extensibility model for Copilot with plugins. There's more vendors, um, plugin partners that are being announced. Um, they, I think there's... 50 plus that are out there and available that are touting and more being added every day. Um, they've got their, uh, the recently announced the semantic index for Copilot, which is a, a map of user and company data and, and powers how the Microsoft graph is actually surfaced inside of Copilot. So cool stuff for developer tools to go out there and build things around it, stuff that I don't touch. Either of you playing with any of that? Not yet. But I suspect it may come at a point in the future. Not too far in the future either. Well, uh, and uh, let's see. And I know that there's a lot of people that were, in fact, when I was in Australia, people uh, were asking about you know, all the co-pilot capabilities. Why don't we get an access to all this? And and of course, yeah. there were some of the speakers there. Well, I have access now. So, yeah, it's not what they were asking. Customers, <laughs> mainstream customers, were asking about it. So, stuff there's um, private paid preview stuff that's happening right now around some of the Viva stuff, some of the Copilot stuff. Um, but um, yeah, the other big thing uh, was besides the Bing Chat Enterprise was around the uh, Microsoft 365 backup and archive capabilities. Yeah. What is that stuff exactly? Um, well, my understanding of backup is that, you know, there have been, Microsoft has had the cloud quote unquote backed up or your data in the cloud backed up for ages. However, 
anytime you would try and nail down uh, a service level agreement or restore policy, you'd see all sorts of you know people quoting posted articles by Microsoft. And I specifically went into deep dive mode on this. And what I the only thing I ever found was Microsoft. Um, you know they have like it was 24 hour RPO, 12 hour RTO at some point, but the numbers they published were only in private tenant or individual organizations where they had reached out. We they had reached a service level agreement with that organization. The general populace, if you you know somehow deleted or lost content um, in let's say SharePoint Online, or that content became corrupted. There was always the possibility of doing content level restores as well as site collection restores, but you would have to work that through the standard support process and there was no guaranteed SLA. So Microsoft 365 backup now, what it's doing for us, you know, OneDrive, SharePoint and Exchange, um, it takes all the data, um, keeps it within the boundary of your tenant as it backs it up and provides you with an admin center function to actually restore some of that content. So it's kind of like the old on-prem days where you could do, you know, farm level restores, site collection restores, content exports, things like that. That's part of the capability we lost when we went to BPAWS and SharePoint Online. And it looks like this is Microsoft kind of reintroducing that capability uh, within the context of modern SharePoint Online. Um, so, you know, if you need to get stuff back, your admin can go and go to the backup, you know, center, um, restore content. Um, I believe they will provide, I've seen one article that says Microsoft would introduce or provide SLAs around, you know, restores, which is something we, you know, didn't have previously, or at least published. Um, and so it makes a lot of typical admin features more accessible so that you know companies that are trying to take care of their own stuff don't necessarily need to go through Microsoft support in an uncertain way, uh, wondering whether they'll get their data back or not. Mm -hmm. So that's the backup part of it. And I, I think that's kind of nice, you know, uh, coming from a, a former ISV that had a backup product um, for um, SharePoint on-prem, um, this is much of what our product would do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I know that the remaining vendors on the market who provide these solutions do something similar um, or equivalent, whether it's in Microsoft's cloud or somewhere else, but the, the data becomes accessible to you. So if, you know, for instance, I've got a very cheap solution. I have a Synology NAS over here and I've got one back at the house and, you know, I'm backing up tenant data from Exchange, SharePoint Online, and OneDrive, and I can restore that, but I'm going across the wire. The difference between that, which is, you know, my own equipment going across the wire, and Microsoft Backup is, it's all integrated directly within the tenant. Mm -hmm. So they keep, they keep it up to date. They make sure that it runs, and if there are problems, they'll fix it, much like everything else with SharePoint Online and Microsoft 365. It looks kind of cool. I'm hoping to get to play with it once it comes out. What Q4? Yeah, Q4. Well, that's what it, it is interesting to look at. And I, I know that um, 
you know, my, my last role, uh, you know, we, we, as a, as a vendor with a backup solution, which is like 80, 90% of their business, um, truthfully, um, that, you know, it was kind of a, what, what the hell is this, this, <laughs> yeah. you know, what, what is Microsoft doing, taking away part of this business? And it's like, well, there's fundamental things that they go and provide, but you still, if you want, and mo what most customers demand is that high level of granular control over the backup experience, you're still going to need the third party solution for that. So it'll be interesting to look at what else Microsoft does within this space, but certainly, um, you know, the the integration points behind it. So it isn't a you know, just a hey, we're using a third party backup already, and now can we get rid of that product and just use Microsoft? Look at the requirements of that. Look at you know the the actual use cases for that. I'd say in most cases, no, you still want to have that granular level of control, um, yeah. but um, you have tighter integration between your tenant and that third-party solution now. Yeah, most you know backup needs. The, the, whether or not a backup solution works for you or not is defined by RPO and RTO requirements. Recovery point objective, which means how much data you're willing to lose in the event of a you know an outage. Um, usually timed from backup to backup if you're using backups, mm -hmm. um, and then RTO, which is recovery time objective, how long it takes to get your data back. Mm, um, yep. And those, you know, can be weeks or months in the loose sense, but some people approach near real-time data uh, protection and, and coverage, and that sort of solution, you know, this would not be a good fit for because I don't think it's doing that. But, it, you know, if it's still using system center DPM under the hood or whatever that has evolved to these days, um, that typically does VSS differential snapshots on about a 15 minute basis. Um, so, you, you know, I I haven't had a conversation about um, backup architecture at Microsoft for quite some time. I'm going from old data, but, um, you know, I can only believe that it's gotten better than it was. So a 15 minute RPO is really not bad. When you, when you need more than just the site collection recycle better. Yeah, and the second one. <laughs> <laughs> and the second one. Yeah, exactly. So give you access to restore your data and delegate that access to people uh, you trust that, you know, might actually reduce your support budget with Microsoft. I don't know. But, um, you know, it'd be nice to be able to do that. Um, and then, of course, I believe you mentioned archive as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Archive will be Microsoft. Archive differs from backup in that you know you're taking uh, live site data, and if you think about the old record center in SharePoint Online, where you would uh you know send content to be um, put in the center, or you know many thought of as an archive, um, this looks to be similar to that. You're taking data, uh, maybe down in a tier in availability. It allows you to keep your current data, current operational data uh, within your SharePoint online sites uh, and move other data off to uh, presumably another site of some sort or storage mechanism that'll interface with the site. Um, and, you know, that for folks who have to maintain 
data for um, compliance purposes uh, or mm -hmm. e-discovery, that kind of legal stuff, it, it, I believe it would qualify within that. Um, so it's, you know, if you got to maintain things for historical sake, this helps you keep your, you know, runtime sites um, viable for longer without all the overhead of processing through years of data. So mm -hmm. I, I see customers who've been on Microsoft 365 or SharePoint Online for an extended period who are, you know, probably starting to bump into some pretty large site collections. Uh, this gives them a way to trim those down uh, in a way that probably will address their needs uh, going forward. Um, but, you know, it's going to depend on the customer and the case by case basis, uh, whether or not that'll work or not. Well, they're yeah. reading from the, and this is the, an article that will be included within the liner notes and it'll be in the blog post. Um, you know, this this was part of the announcement around this uh, at Microsoft Inspire at the end of July. It says select an archive or reactivate full sites in place without needing to migrate your data outside of Microsoft. File level archiving will be coming the second half of 2024. So there you're getting the more granular archival. Um, Maintain full admin level search, e-discovery, access policy, sensitivity label, uh, data loss prevention, retention policy, access control settings, and other security compliance functionality. And the last one to that last point you made, Sean, uh, gain additional decluttering experiences and site lifecycle control capabilities. So that, that's terms. where, yeah, uh, of what that actually <laughs> means to do that cleanup. And again, that is today, I mean, that's a, benefit of a third party solution to be able to go and do that cleanup, that decluttering. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, they are, hey, as as much as the the partners listed below in the article that are part of the syntax backup launch program and the partnership and that integration is there, toes are being stepped on once mm. again. Every cycle toes get stepped on yes yep. you know i remember back in 2013 days when i was just talking about you know being an isv at, in redmond hearing about sharepoint 2013 uh of the maybe 200 isvs that were there many of them basically saw their futures go down the toilet when they announced the sharepoint cloud object model and how in sharepoint online you would no longer be running server-side code well for a company like the one i worked for which you know, its basis for SharePoint was in admin tools. That's exactly what Microsoft was trying to offload from on-prem admins and to take care of those commodity type capabilities that weren't quite commodity. They required a lot of know-how. And, um, you know, I know the company I worked with, um, it wasn't, it was maybe six months after that, that they announced they were divesting themselves of um, their SharePoint product line because it had basically been rendered at that time, not necessarily irrelevant, but utterly ineffective for the mm -hmm. cloud. Yeah. So, so the companies that do still exist had to pivot very quickly in terms of a you know product launch timeline. You know, six months is not a lot of time to get a whole bunch of new capabilities built into existing tools that people use and rely on. So it's you know people who were companies that were nimble and could pivot did so. Those that couldn't typically consolidated, got bought, things like that. So sad. Well, 
That's business. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't have a slick uh, uh, segue to the next topic from that, but uh, I'm sorry I didn't leave you a runway. <laughs> yeah, that's no, all right. No, we didn't plan for that. It's, it's yeah. but um, so something else. Uh, uh, so Viva, the new uh, uh, well, I mean, we've known about it, um, but if you're not following closely, uh, the new Viva Pulse that is out there now. Uh, if you're not familiar with Pulse. Uh, and there's a little bit of confusion now because there's Pulse, there's Insights, there's and there is Glint, and very different things. So Pulse is uh, a survey that's at the team level. Glint is something that is, if you're not familiar with Viva Glint, uh, is more organizational. Like the HR team is looking at the, uh, you know, twice a year or annually looking at the health and well-being of the entire you know, populace and looking at kind of at the initiative side, whereas Viva Pulse is something where me as a team lead, I might want to push this out just to my my five direct reports or the 10 people or the or the, you know, the 70 people that are in my uh, my larger organization and get feedback on specific things like get a pulse survey on the new features like we just released for our product and what are our interactions or what are the feedback? What are our thoughts around this and how that's landing our messaging and positioning things around that. So it's just, it's the flexible day-to-day -day tool for, you know, uh, uh, survey authors, um, providers and, and admins to, to get quick feedback. So it's just part of the, the overall Viva suite. I don't have the slide up in front of me where it's got kind of all the pieces where it fits in. There's four primary buckets of the four categories of Viva products of where that all fits. But that was, I know in uh, when this news was out and there was a discussion in, while well, I was in Australia at the Digital Workplace Conference and I was speaking on Viva, I was talking about connections, engage and amplify. So connections, of course, being the, I was talking about internal comms, so internal communications and and that those professionals and the tools that were most relevant to them. Pulse is actually one of those as well, where they will often use that as a tool to get feedback and then go take action. Um, but this came up, what's the difference between Pulse, Glint, and insights. Insights, of course, is the reporting, the analysis, it's the data, it's the team level and organizational level. Glint is more closely related with feeding data into insights. Um, and then Pulse is kind of separate from both of those things. Hopefully that makes sense. But yep. I, I know that we're, we're uh, as we're at the end of the hour, I wanna be sensitive to time, but the one other product that was in the news. I don't know if either of you have played with it all, but was um, uh, Microsoft ClipChamp. So it's the video editing solution. I have not played around with it yet. I don't believe I have. I know I did a test for them a while back. I don't think it was ClipChamp. It was um, some other AI-driven art tool. Um, I, Clip yeah. Champ sounds interesting. What is it? So it's it's uh, I, so I've got again a link to the article in the blog post. Uh, it's part of Microsoft 365. 
So it allows you to go in and create and publish videos. It, it's you know browser-based. Um, it's as simple to use as like Microsoft Word, um, so that you can go in and uh, and do an in like it, it's an in-browser video editor. Okay. Um, collect your files um, directly capture off of your webcam or screen recorder, so you can drag and drop in clips and and add music, add animations, add lower thirds. Um, Aimed at so, the TikTok crowd? Uh, so, I mean, you can format. I've not played with it to see that, but I'm sure you can format like anything. You can format the video output. Um, so frame it as a, uh, a vertical versus horizontal. Just change the dimensions of your output and do that, create it. And it has a lot of the, I, I, I'm looking for AI capabilities. I'm sure that is part of the broader strategy, um, but there are a lot of templates and a lot of other tools. So something if you've not played with it yet is now officially part of the Microsoft 365 family. I know that they're for MVPs, like for a long time, like I'm a Camtasia guy, and there's a lot of MVPs that are starting to move everything over to using ClipChamp. So um, there's a push. Not least of which because Camtasia became uh, TechSmith, decided to um, kind of pull the plug on their MVP program. Correct. Yes. <laughs> well, did they did they pull the plug because of some other reason, or did Microsoft decide to not renew it because they were building or buying a tool to do all of that? Um, well, TechSmith offered it on their own, but um, they would give a qualification. You would have to meet certain criteria to qualify for the TechSmith tools, like Camtasia or my favorite, Snagit. Um, they, for a number of years, would give uh, free, not for resale, NFR licenses to Camtasia and Snagit. Um, and then they changed their program such that you could apply for it, but you no longer uh, automatically qualified if you were a Microsoft MVP. Hmm. So I've just been using the the latest versions I have, which you know are going starting to get starting to show their age a little bit, but they still work. Um, yeah, same. Yeah. So I don't know. You know, it might be might be related to what Microsoft did. I I. I kind of find it hard, hard to believe, but it's not outside the realm of possibility. Will be interesting to go look. I mean, one nice thing, uh, you know, if you're doing internal publishing is that ClipChamp does publish directly to SharePoint or OneDrive or Stream. Mm, that's nice. So there's a slight advantage there, you know, remove one step. Yeah, anything you can do to, you know, lower the cost of entry in terms of time invested, especially that and money. Um, you know, getting everything done with a click of a button certain, certainly sounds a lot nicer than having to march through seven different discrete steps where I have to know what to do. Um, yeah, I'd see users definitely gravitating towards something like that. Mm. I'm just waiting for uh, AI to be able to do all of that for me without me thinking about it. In fact, I just want to switch my, my office chair here with the recliner. I just have the <laughs> camera find me in fact i could be somewhere in the house i could have the um 
I could have AI just, uh, you know, I could uh, hook it up to the clapper, obviously, uh, to have like the, uh, um, the, uh, you know, the, the bot, the droid, the, uh, the, you know, fly in, zoom in, capture my face, add my audio, and then I just yelling to Alexa, tell her to uh, go generate the video based on what the rest of my videos look like. I'm just, I'm looking forward to that day is what, what I'm saying. And I'll, I'll say this, nobody wants to see or hear you in the bathroom. That's right. Oh, I... <laughs> <laughs> AI would be able to mask any of the background sounds. I'm just uh. assuming. <laughs> oh, so you're working on right. the next I... feature set. We, we are, we are done. <laughs> Well, thank you, gentlemen. Thank you for another always, always fun to catch up and uh, talk about stuff. And I'm sure there will be much more to discuss as the Microsoft people uh, get back from their vacations and things start ramping up again. Yeah, I agree. Thanks, Christian. Thank you. You've been listening to the Collab Talk podcast. New episodes are published on most Fridays, and you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and most other podcast platforms. Thanks for listening.